Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're, and we're live. Um, so, how's everyone doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. You guys can see the new office here. Uh, so, hopefully, yeah, the lighting and Did you paint that yourself? Is an upgrade over uh, previous podcast, uh, you know, visuals for the for the viewer. I have downgraded in that department. I'm <laughs> uh, I'm currently in my, my my small little studio apartment. You can see my elevated bed over there. There's a desk behind it, but there's terrible lighting, so I don't sit there during the during the pod. But other than that, though, I'm doing just standing. Got off the mountain not too long ago, so that's always a good day. How are you, Aaron? How are you, Jay? Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, well, I've I've somehow figured out so far this week to hit every workout. Last week, I think I didn't do the the short cycling thing. I've been tired. That uh, that is what I've I've been. But overall, it's been good. It's been yeah. good. Um, I heard two kids then talk to me about being tired. Hey, the <laughs> arm the army should have prepared you for that. You hit every workout. Oh, sounds brutal. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> I hey, hey midnight you hit, so you have two kids. You could do curls with. Yeah. I'm curling bottles and <laughs> so I mean I, I understand that uh you know I, I think that uh everyone's wondering when I'm getting married, but it's I'm just like why 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 rush? You know, does Brooke, does Brooke listen to this? Oh yeah. She, so, like she, no, uh, I mean she does no from time to time, and then she'll like so she'll give me shit. Um, you know, after an episode she'll listen to and she'll be like, What did you say? And then she's like Obviously, like I've uh, said multiple times, she's an attorney, and she'll be like, uh, um, as your lawyer, uh, you shouldn't say that anymore. Um, so so there's there's always that. Um, but, you know, we're just uh, – it's, uh, it's been good. I, I think uh, there's going to be an interesting – there's a few interesting legal cases in front of the Supreme Court that are sports-related, NCAA versus Alston – um, oral arguments were today, and I guess the the judges will uh, meet on Friday, and they will make their votes, and then assign people to write uh, the opinions if they're if it's not unanimous. Um, for whatever, uh, reading the questions from the justices was very interesting. It made me think that like every single one of them is going to vote uh, to like kill the NCAA, which is, I guess, it's just. It's not something I would be for because I understand what most people are trying to do as far as collegiate athletics, as far as providing opportunity for people that normally wouldn't have it through collegiate athletics to practice leadership and get an education and all that fun stuff that you, if you want to drink Kool-Aid. Either way, opportunity to put yourself on a platform and expose yourself to either play professionally or to get a free education. Let's be honest, though. I'm so, sorry to interrupt you, Craig, but Aaron, let, let's be honest. College is, for, for a lot of high-level athletes, college is just the minor leagues, and it's a free way to make a profit off kids 
under the guy. I mean, we're giving them a profit. Don't agree. Don't disagree. Because if I would say if you if you want to delve into the legal issues here, there is a fair exchange of goods and services, just like a normal kid goes to college, right? And wastes their time in college and spends a lot of money. Um, yeah, a lot of NCAA athletes go to school and waste time and just, you know, do enough to get by and that's on them. Um, Craig is hiding in the deep blue. Uh, he and, he also, and he also got a haircut. So yeah. it's probably because I'm still well, he bald. got them all cut. Liam actually. has a lot of hair and Craig went in between. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's Aaron. If this was if this was 1990, do you think you would be against rugby going professional against the end of the amateur era of rugby? Uh, well, shamaturism was BS because guys got paid in Manila envelopes. It's not like they were playing for free. I, mean, like I know, I know, I know several people who played amateur rugby for provincial teams. Um, and they made more money yeah. during the, the, during in 92 than they did in 95 when it became taxed. And guess what? They weren't, they weren't going to work. They were going to the training ground and they were playing rugby and they were getting their money in an envelope every day after practice. So let's not call that, Hey, let's hold on to amateurism. Let's go, back to, let's go all the way back to 1920. Yeah, but that's today also is the that's point. Not the same because there was a completely professional league. It's not the same as freaking the white, the, the, the great, uh, white people of the, the RFU, the IRFU, WRU, and the SRU being just shaking their fists like we must do this. I'm like, like come I mean, on. What, what's it called in the MLR nowadays? Like an investment incentive or something like that? Uh, grassroots development incentives, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, the, it's the MLR's version of the Manila envelope at this point. <laughs> <laughs> NCAA sports have their own vanilla envelopes too. Booster clubs. I mean, yes, I see. Legit. Scott. So they, we should get rid of this whole idea that it's an amateur, you know, league in the well, NCAA and you, recognize you the could fact do that. that and here's, the, here's here's the thing with that, and and it's not a Pandora's box because it's not. And this is the argument for, um, you know, I I've spoken to several compliance officers at different colleges, including the one where I got my law degree from, and it's like. From a general sense, name, image, and likeness, most schools do not care. They do not care. They're just like, why isn't this done? How have we not voted to let people, let these kids make money off their name, image, and likeness? How is this not done already, right? Um, like every, at every major college, I think in the PAC, at every school in the Pac-12, I think athletic directors and their compliance officers are like, just, hey, university president, Press the button. Just let them do it. Let them. If if they have five hundred thousand on Instagram and someone who's not connected to the university, because that's important, wants to pay them money to sell Theraguns, um, let them do it because they can make fifty grand selling Theraguns and they can still, you know, be a student here. Like it's there is. I'm not as far as name, image, and likeness and being able to profit off that. I'm. I don't really care. Like it's, it's not really something that should matter because it should have been fixed already. And I think, I do think the NCAA has drug its feet on that legislation. 
um, because I, I have no idea why it makes no sense. Cause this could have been solved. See the first law that made it legal was California. And that was like two years ago. Could, we could have fixed this two years ago. Um, but moving on to the footy of the bigger egg. Um, so what do you guys think of the weekend? Just generally. Uh, uh, I mean, a very unexpected results. I thought uh, got my ass whooped in Superbrew. Yeah, me too. I, I have to get on Superbrew. I was there last season. I don't know what has been dragging my feet. I mean, you can. I mean, you won't make it to the top, but it's still uh, it's still open. If that makes sense. So yeah, I, I if you were obviously you were in the the earful of dirt league. It is live, so I'll just go press a button and, and you're in, you know. So, I had to my app now because it's too shameful to look at my <laughs> picks. Uh, I mean, um, it, 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 exciting game, you know, some exciting matches, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I It was almost – I wrote about this in Monday Morning Fly app, but it, it was almost seeming random to me. You know, I, I think parody is a great thing, and we've always talked about how MLR has great parody, and I think it does. Uh, but this weekend didn't feel like parody. It felt like randomness. Like any team could just win, and it was a complete luck of the draw. And that I don't think is good. So you know, something to, to watch out for for the rest of the season. In my well, so which so there were definitely two games that had victors that definitely was not random, like at all. Yeah, that's true. And then. Did you think – I mean, there there is – in the first two weeks, I do think there is a level of randomness, but this is where I disagree with the people in the NFL or the the, peop, the pundits that say let's not have any preseason games because what I see is a degraded product on the field for like the first four – we saw a degraded product for the first four to six weeks because there was limited preseason sessions and yeah. limited – um, just limited game time, like didn't even like reach out and touch someone. So you have four weeks usually where you have games, but guess what? Like during preseason, there's also like intra squad where a whole team will go to another facility and they will train all week with that team. There's, I think that's the second week of preseason normally where they have a scrimmage midweek where, I mean, Liam probably knows this from having spent hundreds of dollars on preseason tickets to the Patriots facility. <laughs> um, so, like, if if you – Jessamyn McIntyre said this uh, on MLR Kickoff a while ago, and she said this on a few of the radio shows that because she a, produces a radio show in, in, um, in Seattle because she covers the Seahawks. And she was like, you know, the fact that we got um, through this is great, but what we're seeing just the, – the guys aren't in football shape. Yeah, they're in shape. They've had they had the whole time to get be in shape, you know, because there's nothing better to do than you know just get in shape during the Rona um, quarantine. But they come in degraded, and we see, we've seen this, and this is you know what I've said so far about this season is like so the Gilgronies have played, I guess, four preseason matches, but one was like a game of two halves or something like that. So let's say they played three preseason matches and Nola has played two and Houston played two and the Giltinis um, played one. The Giltinis were the only team in the league that went into a full bubble, which is probably why they had 
a ton of contact sessions. Um, and, and they did that in Maui for four weeks. Right. So that's probably the, the reason, one of the reasons why they're so far ahead in addition to the, well, they're very talented, right? They're very talented. Let's just, still a, let's they're just one say one that. Right now, yeah? Let's just say that. They're very talented. But I, we're still – so I think things are starting to shake. And we are – that's saying that the mighty have fallen, but maybe this is where consistent Toronto looks more like um, inconsistent Seattle of the first two years. Where like once they get you know their legs under them, you know they'll probably win nine ten games. They just won't go fourteen and two. Yeah. Um, I think they'll be in the playoff hunt because it's Toronto and they brought in some talent, but they're missing some pieces. I think. Um, yeah, generally. Um, yeah, let's hope. I mean, I, obviously, that's the hope is that it's just preseason, you know, lack of preseason, big layoff from coronavirus. Everyone's a little rusty. Things aren't clicking full speed. So there is a, a level of randomness that you would see in a preseason setting. I mean, hopefully that's that's what's happening. Um, but, you know, remains to be seen. It is week two of the actual season, and that's how it looks. Uh, so, you know, I mean, good stuff. I'm, I'm optimistic, but uh, that is how I felt about this week. And you also have to consider that a lot of these uh, MLR players, they don't have access to the same level of uh, facilities during COVID or didn't have access to the same level of facilities during COVID that a lot of NFL players probably would have had. I, I uh, think a, lo- a, lo- a lot of these guys were probably working out in their backyards, going on jogs and stuff like that, you know, l- lifting babies, as I'm sure Craig is doing right now with two kids. So I listen to <laughs> Bloomberg Business with Sports podcast and they talk – in their intro uh, montage, they talk about um, um, their. I, for, I don't know who the person is because I didn't listen to the show where it talked about this because I didn't find out about the show until like because I'm just an idiot and sometimes live under a rock that just is rugby, I guess. Um, I didn't, I think I was told about the podcast back in like September. And in the montage, there's a woman who I, I would need to go back to sometime probably in June. And she talks about how um, in the, that um, we're seeing investments now that we just didn't have time to do. And that's sort of echoed by what Killebrew said um, in a bunch of the pre preseason press availability, you know, you had the grassroots development stuff go in and then um, like Rooney now has like, they were training at Wagner college and now has their like they have completely their own facility. Um, they found some warehouse in uh, somewhere in Jersey City, I think. And then there's conveniently there's a field across the road that they have rented from um, the parks department because I guess kids aren't allowed to use it right now. So since they're professional and they're sort of in a bubble, um, they can use that. So they have like sort of a self-contained training facility. Um, and you're seeing, and obviously the, the Gilgronis have invested in their stuff. Um, the Houston Sabercats now have a gym on site at Aviva. So they no longer go to multiple facilities. They have, um, they have the gym, uh, locker rooms, uh, and, um, analysis rooms. Everything is on site at Aviva, um, which is, I think the, yeah, they're the only the only MLR team that has everything sort of on site. Um, 
I know that Toronto has not Toronto, but I guess Toronto, Atlanta, both Atlanta well, teams. It didn't help Houston much, did it? <laughs> I, it I'm not I'm not worried. Man, I'll be honest, I'm desperate for them to be good because like you've got some guys that are like have been just really good MLR players just standing out at that like Sam Windsor, like has been a standout player since the beginning, and he's just been on this bad team for a long time, and it's kind of sad. Um, but uh, and then you like the if you look at the facility that sort of Atlanta operates out of, they have a training facility, and then um, that which is close to Life University, which is shared by. Toronto, and then there's also fields that Toronto have uh, rented nearby. So it's sort of like the only two sort of comparable uh, training facility, playing facility, and um, field work is right now is is currently I would say in in a triangle per se is Houston and Toronto as far as environments are concerned. Um, you know, it's telling one in three record uh, to show for their yeah. advantageous field situations. Yeah, and then if you look at, I mean, the 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 training facility that Old Glory has, like they practice at this high end facility called the St. James. It has, you know, it has lap pools, it has hot pools, it has ice cold pools. It's got um, a full indoor pitch uh, with stands. So if you like, they they had a preseason games last year there uh, against Navy and someone else. Obviously, if a if a player kicked it a, little, a bit high, it was going to hit the ceiling. So it's kind of like playing at Jerry World. Um, but uh, they have a great training facility, but it's also not close to their, their game facility. It has a, it has a laboratory where they created Danny Tusatala, greatest player in the MLR. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it this week there is randomness, but there I I wonder, I wonder if we're if it's going to shake out and it ends up being say, uh, New Orleans, Atlanta, and DC. You know, because that's sort of what it looks like right now. Um, which is just sort of could be strange. Uh, and not really what I what I thought was going to happen. And then in the West, um, it's obviously LA, obviously Utah so far. And then it's like I think the Gilgronies because I thought they played really well, and then they just there should have been a penalty try in that game, but we'll we'll get to that. So moving into the the first game of the round, um, New York twenty eight fifty one, New Orleans, Craig. So, pop quiz for you guys. Do you know how many times New Orleans has beaten New York? Uh, that one time, by a lot. Uh, well, I mean, obviously everyone knows I'm a, I'm a Rooney supporter, so ugly game for us. I mean, it started off ugly with uh, Tika Suve intercept try in the first couple minutes. He did it again later in the game. Um Really, you know, it was had a similar feel to the way the San Diego match started in week one where defense seemed to be optional. People were going back and forth, but it was staying uh, – it was keeping it close. Um, you know, I think they went into the half something like 26-21 in favor of New Orleans. So it was still anyone's game, but uh, second half, New Orleans 
completely pulled away. Uh, you know, I think, you know, it seemed like Cam Dolan's presence in the lineout completely disrupted New York's ability to successfully, you know, retain their own lineouts and that it really uh, detoothed their attack, especially in the second half. Um, and, you know, really they were just – it was a very careless effort, you know, a lot of flinging the ball around, almost like a, a, a high-risk seven style of back play. Uh, and New Orleans just, you know, kept in more control. It's, it was like New Orleans had looked at tape from week one and assessed that New York is wild with the ball. You know, they make loose passes, and they had just game-planned for Cam Dolan intercepts. Cam Dolan intercepted one too, but it was uh, New York had an advantage at the time. So it was yeah, risky. It would have been, it was like, yeah. I was like, oh. I mean, so you're talking potentially three, you know, intercepted run back tries in one, in one match. I mean, they, they obviously had the read on New York and uh, show they, they slaughtered them in the end. So yeah, great for sure for New Orleans. Uh, I don't know if style New York played. Um, I wouldn't say – I don't know if it makes sense. Um, it, it reminded me of what Ryan Martin wants to do with New England, just play, like, really wide, use a lot of, like, attack space, and just play – like, just play with the ball a lot. And that can lose you a lot of games if your team is not prepared for that. And I don't think – New York has the personnel to play a game like that. They have some good halfbacks, but just as a player group, I I think I thought they were going to be a little bit more traditional. I know, like with with Greg um, McWilliams, he was, you know, like he likes to play a fast game. He likes to play a wide game, but I, I would say they also do traditional um, set piece stuff that they commit to. And although they did a lot of set piece stuff. They weren't nearly as committed to it as they previously had been. And like you said, they just played really wide. And I, it reminded me of what Ryan Martin wants to do, but it reminded me of when Nola played Glendale in year two down yeah. at, uh, uh, down at um, Shaw field when, Dave Williams, who is now the strength coach for uh, Nola, uh, had changed his attack shape to the one three two two, and they just went in there and um, they gained a ton of meters, but they were horrible with the ball, and they also got the break speed off them. So, <laughs> well, we we were talking earlier about the you know the amount of rust that a lot of these players have, especially not having had a proper season or you know proper. Uh, workout regimen like dur- during the uh, COVID months, and one result of that I've seen is definitely a lack of ball speed, uh, or like or a lack of fluidity, um, out you know w- when you're passing out wide. Um, and I think we're we're going to be seeing a lot of that early on in the season because it's definitely not unique just to New York. There's been a unique New York, unique New York, but um, it's definitely not unique uh, just just to Rooney. I've been seeing it all over the league with people passing is just iffy right now, and I think there's been a lot of miscues as a result and. Uh, you know, and the huge amount of penalties we saw this weekend was also could could have also been the uh, uh, result of that. A lot of knock-ons, a lot of miscommunications when it came to trying to move move, move the attack. Cards flowing out of referees' ears every five yeah. seconds. Somebody sent off with a card. 
Oh, did you, you see know, how many penalties were in the Houston New England game? I'm, I'm going to mention it during my recap. It was, was a lot. lot. It was a lot. Uh, what was it? Um, I think Nola is leading the league with eight cards right now. I mean, I, I think I counted at some point Sunday night, and, and there was a San Diego card in like the 78th minute, so that might not even have made the count. But there was 23 cards in the season already. I mean, that's like a card per team per week. Uh, outrageous card rate. I so 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 let's let's talk about red cards, right? Because there was a red card in the in the Utah game. I won't really dig into it. But what do you think if we did the whole, you know, you go off for twenty minutes thing? But if there's a second red card, you just straight up lose the dude. I I, I was fond of the red card rule before. I, I'm fine. I can I can. I like I like it the other way, but I. I, after watching it sort of work its way out, I'm sort of okay. Like, I, I mean, I've become indifferent, but I think if after you get a red card and then there is dangerous play that leads to a red card again, I think the team should actually effectively be punished the rest of the game. And it's pretty rare that you have two red cards in a game, but I don't know. It's, it's something to discuss. I'll tell you what I am liking. I'm almost I'm good. I'm getting to the point where I enjoy the cards in the way that as a hockey fan, I enjoy power plays. Like I mean, it's like they're becoming so common that I feel like maybe it's a good like maybe it's actually a exciting you know future of MLR that will contribute to the world game because I mean you know if if cards are given out one two three times a game. I mean, teams have to train to exploit a man advantage and train to kill a man advantage. And I actually think it might end up being an exciting time the way a power play is in hockey. I, yeah, I, I'm starting to get that feel, and I'm, I'm coming around to actually liking the pace of cards you see here. Well, there's one particular team that you train when, you know, you have a two-man advantage, <laughs> not just a one-man advantage. <laughs> I'll talk about that again later. <laughs> uh, um, so moving on to the next game, Atlanta 23, DC uh, 30. 30. Damn. 30, yeah. So this was definitely a game where the fans, uh, the fans in the stands, they got their money's worth in the second half. The first half, I felt like there was a lot of unexciting stalemating in the midfield. And sometimes there is such a thing as exciting stalemating. When the forwards are bashing into each other, there's, you know, there's turnovers, there's steals in the ruck. This wasn't it. This was just, you know, you know, pass, pass, can't get past the gain line, penalty, pass, pass, can't get past the gain line, penalty. Um, but the closer we got to halftime, I thought ATL was starting to look like the sharper squad. They were getting inside the 22 pretty consistently. Um, and their ball movement at that point was at least better than what DC's had, like, had been. Um, but anyway, something must have been said in the DC locker room uh, you know, at, at halftime to get them to come alive because I felt like the second half was an entirely different story for them. Uh, I felt like we started to see more fluid ball movement that really tested ATL's defensive shift. And with that, they were able to put more pressure on ATL inside of their own 22. And the result of that was cold, hard points. With tries like that by uh, my, my man from uh, our days in Houston, Jameson Fa'ana Ana Schultz, who, uh, who caught the ATL flankers sleeping and basically walked into the end goal uh, on challenge. And uh, just like uh, New England-Houston, which I'll talk about in a, in a second, uh, discipline definitely played a factor, especially towards the end of the second half. Uh, ATLs started to really dip. 
And the more and more victory kind of seemed out of the reach, I think they got a little, a little bit more frustrated. Um, and that's where they just kind of gave up those crucial points that put the comeback out of reach. So uh, I would say one of the things that DC has that I've never seen in this league, and I don't think I've seen it at the international level, or, I mean, even consistently watching the premiership. And, Craig, you watch the premiership a ton. The, the DC mall defense, I want to say they've defended effectively um, and legally 80% of the opposing side malls because it – they could have Atlanta been had the same. Atlanta had the same problem that Nola did. They couldn't get yeah. their mall to do shit. Um, mall defense, but every critical defensive play, DC just answers the bell. I mean, how many try line turnovers? James Anana Schultz alone must have at least four or five jackals inside his own 22 at this point. And so the second game, I mean, they, they're just, they are answering the bell for every it's officially two. situation. Two, well, he has two breakdown steals. Only two. I don't believe that. Right. He's definitely been involved in some. In a, in a oh yeah. I mean, that. he's been involved in plenty. I mean, but um, yeah, it, the defense has been good. Co- I think the big thing that changed, though, for DC was um, Sean, Sean Hardig uh, went to the bench. Um, and uh, Danny Tustal is a great scrum half. Like, wow. Um, but he, his, I wouldn't say his ability as a 10 is that big of a drop off, but it is. Um, it's not like that a couple years ago when we saw JP Smith. Um, basically play fly half for half a season for Seattle um, where he's, he's a pretty effective fly half, but they put Mike Dobolus in at 10 off the bench for the second half. And that took a lot of things off Danny's shoulders and he just went to work. And I think that was like just tempo wise that they really allowed them to, to move forward. But you know, um, moving on. Um, New England, 32, Houston, zero. The poacher bowl, the people who have given me money bowl. So anyway, guys, uh, after the defeat last week to the team from LA, uh, the free Jacks did their future selves a huge service by getting back into the positive point differential range in the standings with a 32 to nothing shutout at Aviva Stadium, home of the Sabercats and their, you know, facility that's all in one. Blah, 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 blah. Well, <laughs> and they brought their respectable uh, record now to 500. So that's all well and good. Houston, on the other hand, they went the opposite direction after their impressive week one victory over Seattle. Well, Seattle's now 0-2 sitting at the bottom of the West. So how impressive that victory is going to look in a few weeks, who knows? So... Anyone watching this game would tell you that the official's whistle got some of the most action on the pitch last night, as we were saying earlier, uh, with a whopping, here's the number now, I'm not making this up, this is available on the MLR app, 33 penalties total on the night. The Jacks with 17, Cats with 16. Big difference between the two, however, was making the other side pay for those mistakes, and while the majority of New England's points came off possessions gained thanks to Cat penalties, the Cats couldn't even put three on the board while up two men uh, at, at one point. Uh, I believe it was Josh Larson and who was the other the other yellow, Aaron? The other yellow? 
Yeah. Um, let me, let me, let me do some work. I, I, was it Dougie? I don't think it was. Uh, I'll give you a real answer. Give me one second. It wasn't. It wasn't Fife. Um, where is this at? Give me. I I don't. I should keep these pulled up, but it's just too much shit these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. We, we got all got the tabs uh, open. If someone in the live studio audience comes in with the answer before Castro, I'll write yeah, right. Um, yellow is doesn't say. It gives me. Oh, all right, um, great. It gives me like there's a yellow and then there's a free kick conceded. Uh, uh, scrum. What the yeah. heck? Hang on, let me go to the top. Well, anyway, uh, um, granted though the the. So I, I make fun of Houston for, you know, taking the shot, the shutout. However, the wind was reportedly wicked wild at Aviva that night. Uh, and Sam Windsor, I believe he was either over two or over three on conversions, uh, which isn't a stat you hear for him often being the all time point leader in major league rugby. Uh, however, Houston seemed to be, uh, you know, to be new England and they, they seemed to beat them in a good many significant statistical categories. Um, and which makes the shutout all the stranger. Some of those include possession rate, 60%, carrying meters, 900 total compared to just 474 from the Jacks. And a lot of those meters were thanks to a whopping nine line breaks from the Cats ball carriers. But that's where making the opposition pay for their mistakes actually comes into play. The, the Jacks, they had their fair share of them, don't get me wrong, 17 penalties. But they took advantage of the good field position when it was given to them. And guys like Dougie Fife and the forwards and the driving mall they were really able to take care of enough of the dirty work to get the points time and again. But my biggest worry last week was that the Jacks could, could put up a, a, you know, a consistent 80 minutes of good rugby. The discipline needs work, but I think the pieces are definitely starting to come together um, in terms of the Jacks you know, being legit players in the quest for the shield. Yeah, it's um, – it, I don't know what to tell you about the Sabercats, man. I – it's it's tough. Um, for the they're free jacks, I think. Yes and then no. I think they got to they played the free jacks sort of played how they wanted to, and they figured out that the wind. They figured out how to play in the wind in the second half, but it just uh, it was just difficult for them. And hang on, so I got your yellow cards. Give me one second. <laughs> Harrison Boyle and Josh Larson. So the ten. There we go. I, I knew I knew oh, it was Josh. So if you wanted to know why that like whole. Um, ordeal just sputtered as well on the free jack side because their 10 was gone. Um, and then so, like, I think they got the wind at their backs, so they were able and they figured out how to play in the wind, uh, in that one. And other than Varamu Dicky Dicky Lottie, who had almost I think it was 185 meters or something in that one, and he, like, like they 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 couldn't do anything, like so. Uh, I heard some reinforcements might be coming in uh, next week or two, but um, yeah, I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Um, so when I when I talk about the week being random, this is you know the match that comes forefront to my mind. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What you mean, mean that they? You mean that the Free Jacks were able to put up? You know, thirty. It was thirty-two to zero, and and shut the, out Houston, and they get like fifty point, yeah, forty some odd points last week. Then they you, get a zero. You also, you also want to talk about a game with some goal line stands. There was 
tons and tons of chances for the Sabercats to actually get pay dirt. And the New England, they, they stay disciplined just long enough to allow the Cats to make their own mistakes inside the 22. Because there was co- countless not rolling away penalties, you know, really ill-timed uh, knock-ons when they're trying when they when the Cats were trying to get the ball moving quickly. You know, the the fact that they came out of this with a shutout, you know, speaks volumes to what they were able to do defending their own 22. Yeah, it just doesn't tell me. I, I don't think it tells me much about New England, to be honest, because it makes me – the result just makes me think that Houston is the class of the bottom, if that makes sense. And I mean – the By the class of the bottom, I mean they're the worst. They know? beat Seattle in week one, though. It, it, nothing makes sense. But, but how is Seattle going to be doing? Because now how, Seattle's I mean, going too. Seattle just like lost by like 36 or well, something. Well, you saw my power ranks. I put those two at the bottom. But yeah, <laughs> lots of think that Seattle has come, you know, fallen so far so fast. I mean, there's there's a lot. There's not that much data to go on. And the data we have is all over the place. So it just makes it so hard. I mean, yeah, I, I like a, I, it's going to be hard to know with, with Seattle. I, I think the sort of. It's uh, the. I think the only thing we know is that Utah is pretty good, and that LA are pretty good, and Nola is probably pretty good, and and I put the probably in front of Nola on on, on purpose. Um, and, but yeah, mm. moving on to Toronto, uh, twenty four thirty nine uh, at Utah. Uh, this one you had try of the week, which was shared by uh, World Rugby. Got a bunch of exposure. Uh, on World Rugby uh, this week for MLR on all their social channels with MLR highlights, so that's pretty cool. Um, Fraser Hurst, y'all see him? Y'all see that little boy? Oh I my gosh, I've seen it. He man, that so Michael Baska gets like thrown, like his shoulder just goes straight into the ground, and he he's looking pretty pretty rough, right? He ends up. He's doing pretty good. He's out of the hospital. So he was out of the hospital a couple of days ago. Um, I know that um, Bryce Campbell being the other injury that was huge where a guy got carted off the pitch. Bryce, you know, he was sort of back in practice on Monday and not doing anything because he's in the protocol. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, and then Fraser Hurst comes on. And for the most part, uh, Utah doesn't stop. Like they were led really by Aston Fortain. Um, um, I'm glad I listened to, to the broadcast because I would have gotten the name wrong um, very, very badly. Um, who just, you know, he did what, um, you know, in the in the set piece, what Cam Dolan did against New York. And he just was a menace. He got two line out steals. And I think he effectively disrupted probably another six or seven uh, for, for Toronto. And if you look at the way Toronto's attack is going, I think their defense is kind of okay, but they're just not jiving yet. And they're missing pieces. Like uh, what was it? Like James, not Jamie McKenzie not being available right now is not, is not helpful. I think Dan Moore retiring is kind of hurting them um, in the scrum. They struggled a bit against Utah. Um, I think it's settled down a bit in the second half that people mentioned uh, on Twitter when Cole Keith went over to Lucid. Um, I think that it's kind of true. 
he ended up playing. Um, who said playing both sides isn't uh, isn't valuable? Because he played both sides in that game, and uh, but it's like I, I think they've they've sort of lost the pace, and I don't I don't necessarily think that their recruitment has been poor. I think their preparation, training inside a bubble in Canada, and not having all of their South American contingent being able to train with them the entire time, um, like Tukale, um he got out of quarantine, I want to say Wednesday of week one, and they traveled to Atlanta on Thursday. So yeah, um, they're just not really in sync in the back line. Um, I know that Manuel Montero, like he had a, you know, really good 20 minutes for the 25 minutes. He was, he was on the pitch, but just the way Utah is playing their, their, their scrum is really consistent. Um, it's not the best in the league, but it's it's going to be good enough um, until they probably face Los Angeles. And, you know, their their locks are good. And, and then they got Schulte. Like, Schulte. Like, like 14 points on his own. Like, you, you talk about a 10 that, you know, knows where to put the ball. I think the two best 10s in the league right now are with, just, with Jason Robertson out are Gates and, and Schulte. Like there is, is like everyone else is it's not playing well. Um, yeah. Schulte is an absolute cannon for a leg. That guy, he's going to be overtaking Sam Windsor, I think, uh, as the overall points leader in MLR if he sticks around here in a couple of years. Or if he doesn't get poached by, uh, you know, a European club. Yeah. Poached. <laughs> poached. Poached. Uh-huh. poached. Um, I mean, he's not, he's a German international and he's not playing in the rec. So um, the the way visas work, at least in the UK, you have to play in um, three of the last matches in the last 18 months. Obviously he'll probably play this summer. I would, I would hope like he is just tearing it up and they don't have a lot of professional players to begin with. So um, I don't know. Um, for Toronto, I, I think Chris Silverthorne is, you know, not saying they're doing soul searching, but probably just tearing th- some things apart and just be like, whatever we're doing is, is not working and we need to just get hard about it and, and do something really, um, because they're going to, they're going to have a game this weekend. That's going to be very tough based on where they're at. Uh, early in the season, I would have never thought that um, the Toronto Arrows would literally be last in the league right now. Hmm. Um, like not only they're last in the East, they're last in the league. <laughs> yeah, they're they're dead last, and Utah's in first. Who would have thought that? But and and, and this week, I think we're, we'll see how the picks shake out. But I suspect both San Diego and Toronto, last year's uh, darlings will be the underdogs uh, in their matches this week. So, who yeah. um, so, But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we look back on this conversation and they're like, oh, how wrong we were. <laughs> yeah, well, I think with Toronto, Never just, that I'm wrong. just because of, like, how, like they have good support, like pro- professional support systems and high-performance systems in place, even though that they're away from home, I think that they will shake out and be consistent um, does that mean they're going to be a Toronto's top? never been that good on the road? Remember that their first season, you know, two years ago now, 
they, they had what was it four, three and five? Three yeah, and five. So three and five or four and four to start the season on the road. Then they came home and won seven of eight. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, they, I, I don't know what they've, yeah, that's why I was always a little skeptical about this season for them just because they're in, yeah, indefinitely as far as I know in Atlanta. Um, they're just, you know, I don't think they're, it sucks to be a road team always. And right now that's the position they're in. Yeah. Um, moving on to uh, San Diego versus Austin. Uh, San Diego won this 14 to 11. Craig. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, certainly dramatic and disappointing loss for Austin, who controlled the vast majority of the game. Wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, exactly a spectacle of rugby glory. Uh, yeah, I think it was <laughs> the game. That, I mean, the game that got forgot when it was three to zero at the half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what it, it was like. I mean, it was beset by a comedy of errors, you could say. I mean, there were scoring opportunities. There were scoring opportunities nonstop, but just nobody on either side of the, of the ball could execute. It was a forward pass here and a knock on there or, you know, uh, a turn, you know, a mall that gets held up or whatever. Um, really, it was really minimal. What there was was a complete failure to execute in clutch situations. Like I said before, how, you know, DC's defense is always stepping up in clutch situations. This was the opposite of that. Neither team was taking any of the opportunities given to them. And unfortunately, I mean, it, Austin controlled most of the game, but they got so lackadaisical, you know, in like the 60-minute mark. I think they even had brought in the, the backup scrum at that point, uh, who was uh, um, uh, Torialba. Uh, and it was like, you know, the, the scrums, it was like five seconds would pass before he'd show up at the back of, of the ruck. Um, and, and phase after phase, I'm like, where is the nine? Why are these phases going so slow? I mean, and the broadcast was saying, well, they're milking the clock. They have the advantage. And I, maybe that was on purpose, but it shouldn't have been because, I mean, it sapped all the energy out of Austin. Um, and then – the last few minutes of chaos, Austin had a, a five-meter uh, line out on the attacking side, over through the ball. Cindy ran it all the way across the field. A couple phases later, they scored the go-ahead try. Um, and then for the last few minutes, Austin kept knocking on the door and then kept fumbling it. Uh, not literally, but they, they kept blowing their chances. Um Including a knockout at the very end, you know, it, you know, within five meters or so of what would have been the winning try. Um, two other interesting things to note: last week, Austin had a chance to had a penalty from 50, 60 meters out, and they elected to kick the sticks for the win, and the kick fell short. Now that with you know the seventy eighth minute, they had a kick to tie from right in front of the posts, I mean, a little off to the side, but, you know, short, you know, 20 meter kick, maybe and they elected to go for the corner to go for the win. Both, both times uh, that choice ended up not working out for them. Yeah. But so there, there there's the Larson yellow card, which should have been a penalty try. Uh, you see those penalties. So the, the Lord's ability. Yeah. That was a, a, a mall at the very end of the game where San Diego was penalized for, I guess I think they said offside, but they could have been called collapsing the mall too. They were all, it was all, it was chaos. Um, and so they gave Larson a card, reset it. Um, but Austin was not able to score, but I mean, everyone's saying that she went penalty try, but 
One, you know, you often see penalties on balls that are close that aren't just automatically awarded penalty tries. And honestly, I think that referees just have a, a strong disinclination to decide the game in that sort of way. Like a referee doesn't want to make a, a call that, that you know changes the outcome of the game. So I'm okay with letting the boys play there. Austin had a man advantage and the attack still. That should have been enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know. Um, moving on to – what was it? Where are we at? Was that the – Right. Moving on to Los Angeles Seattle, LA. versus Seattle. Um, I don't know why I keep exiting out of the rundown. I'm LA Mercy ruled Seattle in the first yeah, half. That was, I mean, what was <laughs> it like 45? Half. <laughs> it was at one point early in the second half, it was like 45 to 7 or something. It was, it was really bad. And I was just thinking, you know, like I was pretty sure, and it almost happened, that L.A. was going to beat them by 50. <laughs> um, and then um, Billy Meeks, uh, I'm not sure he gets knocked out, but he definitely gets hit in the head, uh, or his head hits the ground in, in a tackle, and he was struggling to get up, and the ref definitely saw him. And then the, the L.A. trainers came out, and they were like basically – going through like the HIA stuff and it's like trying to get him to say he was good to go. And he really wasn't saying he was good to go. He was like, uh, and then when the ref was like, Hey, we don't do HIAs here. Like we pull, like guys just go We're and he's gone. Like figure it out. Like he's out for a concussion, like whatever go. And, and I actually think that's a good idea. I think I, 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 I struggle with how HIAs are used in international rugby and sort of how they're used um, because I, I see some things where I'm like, that dude needed an HIA and it was a guy never gets pulled. And I think it's sort of used as an excuse rather than to like actually take care of players. And we try to talk about how rugby is somehow safer. And I was like, well, an MLR, if a guy has a suspected concussion, he's just pulled, you know, like that's what we're doing. Uh, and they enter return to play protocol immediately. <laughs> I mean, you still have to do an HIA, but there's no HIA of, oh, he passed, he gets to go. Back. Yeah, there's no return to play when they are cleared uh, on the site. Um, so, but, and so that's when it started to slow down. And then I think when Harrison Goddard came off uh, for LA, that also like changed their tempo because when he was on the pitch, like basically every single rock, they had a 74% quick ball percentage. Like, I think that's one of the highest games ever in MLR um, as far as quick ball percentage um, is concerned. And, like, that kid can can play. Like, wow. As far as just being able to marshal an attack and, you know, I got a chance to talk to him yesterday and he's still learning the people he's playing with. Um, and, you know, it's like, okay. So he's still learning how to communicate with his forward pack, still learning how to communicate with Matt Guito, his 10, um, AAC, his, his outside center. And it's like, okay, so what happens if once they get all that down, like what can they do? Like who they're good now. I don't really want to know how good they will be when they get all the calm stuff figured out. Um, 
Yeah. Are they good though? They've played apparently Seattle. We now agree is the worst team in the league. Well, they okay. So they look good. They look good. They That's look good. They look. Do good. we do we won't know? I mean, let's say Toronto do well this weekend and they get a win, and they sort of look you know at least like tough Toronto, right? Which they did in week one. They just they just lost. Um, but let's say Toronto wins this week. They play Toronto. On the tenth, uh, LA's on a bye this week because there's only four games this weekend. They play Toronto on the tenth, and so that's like effectively their first real test. Seems that way. At least the first team that's going to have a, a a structured defense that can slow down, you know, the the Giltini attack. So yeah, I mean that's sort of like the first test is going to be Toronto for them. Um, and but like Seattle showed some heart in this one. They didn't they didn't lay down when I thought they were gonna lay down, and then James Malcolm had a hat trick in nine minutes. I thought that was pretty insane. Um glad someone A picked him up um because he was sort of in limbo because his uh contract got canceled because his visa was not approved uh with Dallas, and then so his Visa got approved, and they Seattle signed him. So it's free agent. Um, good for them. Good for him. Um, they had been hurting at Hooker, especially when they let Villy go to um, – well, I guess when – I don't know what happened there. All I know is Villy um, is in New England, and he's playing mm-hmm. like 35 minutes a game at Hooker. So, um, and they needed a Hooker to start. So maybe – pro in the scrum, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's it extra. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of Seattle other than it could be a tough year. So um, since Seattle won their second straight championship, the only two Shields ever awarded, their work uh, since then a combined one and six. Yeah. I, I, I don't think – I mean, and under this coach. So I, I – either – I know last year Seattle fans were like, hey – um. We always start slow. Okay, I got it. I'm, I'm ready for – okay, we st- we're starting slow. I'm ready for – like, so that means you've got one more week, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you've got one more week of slow, and then you have to win a game, you know? Um, yeah. Otherwise, like, just – I don't know. Like, I, I think with – I don't think their attack is – like that's set up. They're, they they are missing some guys. Like uh, Metcher is out with a bum hamstring. Uh, they had to sign, uh, and I say had to, they had signed Gavin Prentice, who debuted. Um, good for him, but uh, you know he's he's a sophomore at Harvard. I, I don't I don't know. I don't think he's ready for this. Um, and then they had to sign someone, another club guy out of the Saras uh, out of the Saracens that probably isn't ready for this either. And it's just a lot of the teams are lacking depth um, that a normal season allows them to have, but because of uh, just protocols and just trying to keep it tight, um, you know, most teams don't have, have the depth that they would have in previous seasons. Um, All right. So so, I think that ends the recaps for this week. Yeah. So, these, there's some, this is, I, I think this could be a test uh, for for Utah. Um, they're going to 
the Free Jacks first home game ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Liam, take that at little... Union Point. Yep. So, like Aaron said, this is going to be the New England Free Jacks first ever game at home, and it. Uh, according to my parents, it's been wonderful weather back in New England, so I'm sure everything's going to work out on that end. So the Utah Warriors, funny enough, one of the original four playoff teams from year one. Then uh, they're finally looking looking like they're actually going to make the leap to true Shield contenders. But then again, it's only been two weeks. But in those two weeks, it's been two pretty solid victories back-to-back. Uh, meanwhile, my guys in New England are coming off two okay but not spectacular performances. Um, and after their thrashing of Houston last weekend, it's going to be inter- interesting to see if they can keep that up against a team that seems to be sizzling on the grill pretty early. Uh, some, some numbers to, to, to take a look at and to keep in mind. Uh, so over, the, over these first two weeks, New England, they're averaging 29.5 points per game. Utah, 34.5. So, you know, almost, what, what, what's that, like six you know, almost six more points a game. Uh, meanwhile, in terms of meters, New England not running the ball uh, uh, a whole a whole lot, especially in that game versus Houston where they barely topped 400 meters uh, gained, but that's just because Houston was giving them awesome field position with, with which to score. Um, New England's averaging 433 meters per game, Utah 634. So not only is Utah getting the victories, but they're controlling the ball and their, their guys are finding space and they're putting a lot of pressure on these other teams, which is what you know has worried about me. Uh, uh, you know, worried me about New England in the past is being able to keep up uh, with their defensive shift, particularly in the second half once once fatigue starts to set in. Um, both of these teams see the scrum in the mall as a strength. However, each of these teams has given up more than their fair share of penalties over the two weeks. So it's going to be about who takes advantage of uh, of that factor of the game best. I think. Uh, I think Utah's ball movement. That they look a little bit better uh, than New England at this point, but like I said, New England hasn't had a whole lot of uh, consistent attack. They've had a lot of explosive attack, um, you know, with, especially with guys like Dougie Fife. Um, but if New England's defense can make as many stands as it did against Houston, as I as I mentioned earlier, they could be in really good shape to use those ex- explosive pieces with guys like Dougie, Doug, Dougie and Walker to drive the stake in. So I'm going to go optimistic on this one. I'm going to say New England. 29, Utah 27. Well, uh, I think after seeing the uh, introduction of Utah's terrifying house cat mascot uh, last week, uh, plus their 2-0 record, I think for me, New England uh, may have just beat the Sabercats, but uh, I think we're going down to the, the Utah house cats. I'm, like, I'm, liking, the, uh, I'm liking the Mikey Teo Hagen Schulte energy coming out of Utah. I'll, I'll say Utah by four. Um, Utah by five. Unconverted try. Okay. Just okay. I, I'm I'm I digging I'm digging the feel of Utah as much as I like. Um, what I think Ryan Martin wants to do. I don't think they're ready. I think it's more of a long term sort of play there and. Uh, I, I think that Utah has the better set piece in scrum. So, and they have a flamethrower wielding cat. So, always <laughs> important. Hey, I, I I'm waiting to be able to buy a mini uh, saber cat thing, a mini rooster. Hey, where's the roosters at? Um, and a mini what? 
a mini one of these things because merchandising is everything and and why not? I remember there was a remember when it was the Austin Elite they had sort of a uh-huh. steer thing like mascot out there. I was like, so am I gonna be able to buy? Um, I remember asking Terry Delpon, I was like, am I gonna be able to buy one of these? And he was like, yeah, next year, next year. And then they they they, they sold. Obviously, there's a lot of things that Terry said that did not come true. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Um, and so Toronto at DC. So this is where, uh, the reckoning probably happens, um, for Toronto, like whether we know they are going to be a middle team or if they're going to be, uh, a team that challenges for the playoffs. Um, and DC right now they're looking okay. They're still they still won't have uh, they won't have Jason Robertson for a couple of weeks uh, with thumb injury. And uh, but I thought Mike Dabalus played pretty well um, at ten. I think if you go in knowing that is your game plan, then um, Danny Tuzatala is able to be the best scrum half in the league, um, like he had been the last in the last season and you can allow uh, your backs to play. The issue that they're going to run into is, um, you know, in the set piece, I think that they're, they have the best mall defense in the league. So there's, that's something that Toronto is going to have to take um, into account. They're, they're going to need to kick for sticks. Uh, they, I, I don't think, Teams who have struggled in the set piece should commit to doing a driving mall when they can take sticks. Um, the thing that I think that they will still have the edge in, however, is in the scrum because I thought that the, the old glory scrum um, was pretty weak uh, still against Atlanta. And we saw that, especially in the second half when uh, Manasa Salo came on at tight head, it was, it was ugly. Um, so, if they can get their, if they can win the scrum battle, and I think that the the scrum reset law is really hurting teams with with good scrums. Uh, like it's, I, I think they're going to need to make it so that if a team wins a penalty at the scrum, they should be able to take another scrum. You know, rather yeah. than like that has to be what they meant by the law. This the way they're executing is so stupid. If this is what they meant, then I hate this law. But yeah. I, that's never how I interpret it. I like the scrum off sideline law, um, but this just seeing sort of teams with dominant scrums not get rewarded for that is kind of yeah. It's kind of annoying for it. Forget yeah. rewarded. Yeah. So I I just based on everything I would I'm seeing, I think it's going to be probably. Um, old glory edge probably by two points. It's gonna, I think it'll be close. Um, with Toronto being able to have a chance to win if they can get their chemistry right, because I think the one thing that old glory has, which they had last year, is their chemistry is right. They don't, they don't, their set piece is a mess, their scrum is a mess, but their chemistry is right. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Toronto minus. Toronto minus three, just because kind of like last week with San Diego, I recognize the issues that are very apparent, um, but my brain won't let me think of the Toronto Arrows starting a season 0-3. So 
yeah, I'm going to go with them on that victory. I'm going to say uh, DC. I, just, I don't think Toronto right now has the offensive dynamism to get through what is by all by all uh, evidence a very formidable old glory defense. So uh, so moving on, San Diego at Atlanta. Craig. And another one where, you know, probably most people preseason would have said this is a San Diego uh, favorite, but now I think most people are, are probably leaning towards the underdog, and, and I am too. I just think San Diego has really not shown much these first two years. I think Mikey Teo, JP Duplessis being gone, um, really seems to have taken some – and, you know, obviously no Patty Ryan, who was, you know, with the dominant in the front row. Um, it really seems to have taken something from them. Uh, so, you know, right now there's not – they're not doing anything that looks particularly impressive. Sam Wujing is playing well. Um, but it really is not much else to say for what they're doing. So uh, I think Atlanta is playing incredible defense, probably maybe the only team better defensively than Old Glory so far this year. Um, I also love uh, Atlanta's locks. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, one thing I think they're going to be very strong in is, is matching up on the forward pack. Uh, San Diego's on the road. Um, I just think it's going to be Atlanta. I'd say Atlanta by six. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Atlanta on this one. Well, on this one as well. Um, they were looking pretty, they, they had their moments last week. Uh, like I said, their ball movement in the first half. Um, you know, it was definitely a little more crisper than DC, but I think DC just kind of put it all together uh, in that second half in the right way. So um, I think Atlanta's ceiling is pretty high for this season. Uh, so I'm going to go Atlanta minus six. Uh, like, it's a big test for San Diego. Um, if they lose this one, then we know, like, I don't I already think that they're no longer a Rob Hudley coach team, but we're going to really know. Like, if they can't, uh, be extremely physical at the point of contact in both defense and attack and just have that intensity that they were known for in the last two years, especially that it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. Um, obviously we've seen that they can score points. So uh, and we, if you remember the game against in week one against New York, so it's going to be important for um, Atlanta to be careful with the ball. Um but we also know that San Diego has the ability to turn over the ball. We also know that San Diego um, has historically had discipline problems. Um, they aren't the most penalized team in the league this this year so far. So um, don't don't really worry about that. Um, I think they have had issues at the ruck. Um, you know, when in in defense and in attack, when it came to. Um, counter rucks and everything. So, but I, that seems to be a general trend across the league as far as penalty calls and penalty rate. But I definitely believe in Scott Lawrence and like what his teams do. And so I expect, hmm, it could be low scoring or it could be high scoring. I, I still think that Atlanta is medium scoring. Could be no score here. <laughs> I think Atlanta is still missing out on Kirk Coleman. Um, I, I don't think that Duncan Van Schalkwick has really gotten in sync with Rowan Goose. 
Um, and Wait, isn't know, that the old pronunciation, Van Schalkwijk? What is it? Van Schalkwijk. Schalkwijk. There we yeah. go. Skat. Skalkwijk. Skalkwijk. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's really gotten in sync with Rowan Goose and really gotten in sync back as a 10. Like, I think he had spent a lot of time now trying to convert to a nine because that's what the Eagles wanted to play at. But because of injuries, uh, he he's it. Um, and But Atlanta by eight is where I'm, where I'm going. In. Um, moving on to Houston at Austin. Uh, I mean – this one, I think this one's simple. Uh, one team showed life last week, and one team was was almost as bad as that ship in the Suez. <laughs> almost. I mean, they God tweeted it out, and they were like, at least we're not this guy. Well, yeah, these two teams combined for a inspiring 11 points last week. <laughs> so... I just like what I'm seeing from Austin. Now Austin has done this to me in the past. Uh, if we go back to 2019 when they were undefeated. Oh, and 16. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it takes effort to go. I, oh, I mean, and 16, I, I, you know, <laughs> and, and again, during that season, I, I insisted it's not undefeated. It's just huge accenting. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Houston's going to have to find themselves very fast. And I think that there's a lot of fight and in Austin now um, when there hasn't been. And probably Austin by five. But Houston is the only one of them that has a win. Nothing makes sense. Nothing yeah. makes sense. Well, I mean, Austin should have won the last game. Like They could have won both of their games. Yeah, uh, yeah that's true. I, mean, I agree, though, with what you're saying. I'm, I'm being silly. But I think, yeah, Austin ha- you know, hung with Utah, I think, is, is very good. They hung with San Diego, who's probably still, all things considered, decent in the Western Conference. Um, Houston, I, you know, I thought was turning it around. I I was waiting for it. They beat Seattle, but you know, based on what happened in week two, hard to think that. Uh, hard to see how I could pick Houston here. So I'm going to say I'm going to say Austin by ten. Uh, I'm going to have to go with. Oh, do I go with my heart or my brain? I'm going to have to go with my brain on this one. I'm going to say Austin by three. Austin by three. All right. Um, so interesting news that is brand new, breaking. Um, so the press down in uh, down in uh, Australia is uh, Australia. is talking about Darren Coleman um, being a candidate for the Wertzels job. Um, I know that he's very well respected. He just won the Shoot Shield. Um, this last year, this last season in the fall, um, he's you know, done very well at Gordon Rugby Club. Um, but man, that was kind of sucked to lose your coach almost immediately. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, won't be the head coach. Uh, you know, I wouldn't think he would leave to go be the head coach right now. Um, but at the end of the season, you know, he could be gone, and you money you talks, know. man need to go find a new coaching staff. That would be crazy. But interesting that um, we have an MLR coach being sort of talked about for, you know, a, a top job in, in, in rugby right now. That's kind of pretty cool. 
We're going to rename the team the Giltas. <laughs> Uh, um, so uh, we were tagged on social today. Uh, Oregon State University is back in practice. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of cool to see it's March. So maybe they'll be able to play a friendly versus, say, uh, University of Oregon um, uh, before the end of the year. Obviously, since it's the end of March and the way some of these schools are on semesters, they're done on like May 5th. So maybe they will uh, be able to play some. 15s or some sevens, and that would be cool. Um, Oregon State was in my RC battalion back in the old RC days. Oregon State was in your ROTC. Oh, I thought you said Morgan State. Oregon, Oregon State? State? Oh, man, Oregon State. Oregon. Oregon. Gotcha. Not Moregon. Or not Moron. Uh, Back in back in the day when you know we're all just—I mean, Liam's a child and we're we're old men at this point. Um, but uh, I'm in my mid twenties now. I'll mid twenties, mid twenties. When, when, you start, when you started this, it was the early twenties. You know. Oh it's, yeah. It's how long we've been going, but um, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Liam, by the time the show's over, it's going to be ear full of hair because it'll actually have aged, and you know the hair's <laughs> growing in there. Yeah. You guys well, are gonna be like the um, Futurama people with your heads cut off inside the fish tanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, there are two national games uh, on this week. One's in CBSSN and one's on FS2, and the other two games are on the Rugby Network. Um, they keep telling me the Roku and Apple TV apps are coming soon, um, and I'm like, define soon, like. Like next week, like a month, or next season, like next season. Just tell me because from a workflow perspective, it would be so much easier. Right. It, is it like Rick and Morty road. coming soon? Like it's going to be a year and a half, two years. They'll drop it whenever. Winds of winter. So, um, thanks everyone for joining the show tonight and uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. <laughs>